And so the big aha is that there are people who compete inside existing markets. And then there are the others who realize every market category looks the way it looks because either on purpose or by accident, it got designed. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden with The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here, Chris Lockheed. Thank you, Chris, for coming on today. Very, very excited. Thank you, Kara. It's great to be with you. Super excited. So Chris is the godfather of category design. And if you guys don't know who he is, he is a major, major Silicon Valley advisor and uh, has has backed over 50 venture-backed startups over the course of a few years and is uh, a limited partner and former three-time Silicon Valley public company CMO as well. He hosts and actually hosted me on his podcast a few weeks ago, the award-winning podcast, Follow Your Different. And he also has another one, award-winning Lockheed on Marketing. He is, in addition to being a podcaster, he's a co-author of two international bestsellers, Niche Down and Play Bigger. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today because Chris is my, my happy thoughts of 2020. We we just hit it off, and he's been super helpful and introduced me to uh, Jason, who is helping me now on on my podcast as well, doing some production. So shout out to Jason there. So uh, welcome, Chris. Very excited. Kara, it's so great to see you again, and you are one of the bright spots of 2020 for me too. Meeting you and getting to hang out with you. Oh, that's super, super, super nice. So no, I did. I, it was, uh, I was doing my, my letter, my end of the year letter yesterday. And I was thinking about you that there's a few, there's probably about 10 people like that, that I cross paths with in 2020 that I hadn't met prior to 2020. And I just really appreciate that and also you. So anyway, welcome and excited to have you on to give us your wisdom and just overall just have a great conversation. So so what I didn't know about you, you're thrown out of school. Let's just go right to the heart of it at age 18. Uh, like, So talk to us about this. Well, it, I found out at 21 that I have dyslexia and dyscalculia and a whole bunch of these things. Is it inappropriate or appropriate for me to swear on this podcast? Well, whatever you want to do. Anyway, I I put all my learning disabilities together and I call them dysfuclia. Okay, there you go. I love it. But at 18, I didn't know that, right? And so all I knew is I was failing out of school. And uh, it turns out if you get enough D's and F's, um, they tell you not to come back. So so that's what happened. Where did you grow up? Montreal, Canada. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So you're, uh, and, and were you in French schools as well? Were you like bilingual and I was in English schools, but of course we took French and uh-huh. we spoke a lot of French. Uh, but I grew up at a weird time in Montreal in the 1970s where there was this real war going on between the French and the English. And mm-hmm. so um, it was kind of a strange time. It's much kind of calmed down now. Um, and Montreal is a wonderful place to be, particularly now. But there was a lot of tension between the French and the English back then. Super interesting time. So, so how did you get to the U.S. and how did you get into design overall? So I... Um, at 18, with really no options other than manual labor, I was working as an orderly in a hospital. My mom got me that job, and I thought, well, I could shave male genitalia for a living. Or <laughs> Good times. <laughs> very good times. You know, when you show up in a guy's room and you say, uh, hello, Mr. Johnson, I'm here to shave you. Uh, no, not there. Um, you have his full attention. But um, oh I digress. So I thought, well, I could do that for the rest of my life or, you know, I felt like there was more for me. And it was in the early days of the the boom of the uh, personal computer. And one of my best friends uh, was working at a small software company and he said, I think we should start a technology company. And I sort of said, yeah, and I think I should fart my way to the moon and back. <laughs> Oh my and he God. said, well, I'll handle the technology. You handle the sales and marketing and away we, away we went. And that's, that's how I got started. What was the name of this company? Oh, I think you'll like this part of the story. So I was 18. Uh, my buddy Jack was 19. And we thought, okay, well, we got to look older and more professional. So we um, grew beards to try to look older. And um, at the time, there was this television show on <laughs> called Remington Steel. Do you remember this show? Kara? I remember Remington Steel. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. 
And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, The Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. I do. And do you remember the premise for the show? Not really. Oh, you'll love this as a, as yeah. a, as a successful female entrepreneur. The show was a woman started a private investigation agency, but she didn't think anybody would hire her because she was female. So she named it after a fictitious guy Remington Steele. And then she hired a guy to pretend to be her boss. And of course that was played. He was played by Pierce Brosnan. That was the premise for the show. And we thought that's a great idea. Let's make up a guy. <laughs> so we did. So we took Pierce Brosnan's name. We thought that was a good masculine kind of sounding name because we were in French and English in Quebec. We wanted it to have a, a French sound as well, French and English. So the name of the company was Roger Pierce Associé. 
Oh my God, hysterical. Or Roger Pearson Associates. Yeah. Roger Pearson Associates. But we always so, called him Roger. Roger. So so Roger, you're you're uh, you're on the sales side. And and did you did you make it over to design on in, in Roger? I started to. Uh, we were very successful, and then we were very not successful. <laughs> and so, at 21 years old, I was on the verge of bankruptcy, and uh, I had just gotten married, and so forth and so on. And I ended up going to another startup, and then another startup, and then I started another company. And ultimately, uh, what got me to this notion of category design is. As a student of marketing and sales, I sort of had this aha in my early 20s. And, and you know, I, I, I tried to read all the greats. Uh, certainly, um, uh, David Ogilvy is one of my biggest heroes, uh, recent Trout, um, all of that stuff. And the big aha I had was when people say marketing, what they really mean is we are going to, and I'm going to use these words very much on purpose, compete for share or demand in an existing market category by differentiating our brand. So when most people say marketing, that's what they mean. Mm -hmm. And I started to study the greats. And what I learned is none of them did that. They did what you did, mm -hmm. which is they were radically different. And as a result, they actually ended up designing a new market category. In your case, you change the way people think about water and bubbly water. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, you didn't compete with Evian or, you know, pick, pick whoever. You created a new category of healthy, uh, uh, natural, low calorie, now no calorie, uh, tasty, fizzy drinks. Right. That's where it's that's where the insight is. And you don't make the mistake that so many others make, which is comparing yourself to, by way of example, Evian. You said, no, no, no. Hints a new thing. Hints a different thing. And as a result, you designed a new market category. And so the big aha is that there are people who compete inside existing markets. And then there are the others who realize every market category looks the way it looks because either on purpose or by accident, it got designed. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, do you want to play someone else's game or do you want to invent the game? And that's sort of the, the seminal aha behind this idea that just like you can design a product, just like you can design a company, you can actually design a category. Interesting. Really, really interesting. Well, it's it it's uh you know in the beverage category the the reason why I actually determined I wasn't as bright as you I why I determined that we were actually a new category is that I tried to get our product on the shelf at places like Safeway and you know Whole Foods actually Whole Foods was a different story but like traditional grocery stores like a Safeway they informed me that I didn't fit in I, there wasn't a category called unsweetened flavored water and so i said well create it create it you know now there is and they they said well there there really isn't that's above my pay grade and so that's why i always you know share with entrepreneurs that it's we not only were creating a new company but we were sort of dumped with this information that we were creating a new category and no one knew what to do with it. And I think unlike tech, 
when you're living in a world like beverage, which is controlled up until now by stores, it like no no one was doing direct to consumer in beverage at the time. And so that was like the way for us to compete and survive and and be a little bit different. But so interesting. So what was the- but, but I hate to interrupt you, but you were more than a little different. You were different on the business model side too. Mm-hmm. with direct to consumer. Yeah, but that was years. I mean, we were, you know, 8 years into this before we, you know, really thought, okay, this is this is something that we have to do to compete ultimately. And and so that was a it would it, you know, it was it, it was really a a time that was that no one was doing that in in our space. And I mean, I, I really hand it to uh, to Amazon for kind of they had been hanging out there for a while, and I knew them back in my AOL days before starting Hint. But they really, I think, paved the way for this category around grocery and around you know and building it. So that's a whole other story. But I think it's it's one where sometimes you look at competition in, in some ways. And Amazon, I, I think, really helped pave the way and had the money and had the list of consumers and everything to be able to do that. But but getting back to you, so your first category that you decided to really differentiate in was what? Uh, what it is, it was what today we call customer uh, relationship management or CRM. So what had happened for me in my career was I, I was on the very early, so fast forward a little bit from where we left the story. Um, I was with a software company that was on the very early edge of what at the time was called client server. It was a big breakthrough as people were moving from mainframes to embrace personal computers and networks and all that good stuff the, in the pre-internet days. And, and it became very clear to me that there was going to be this intersection around client server and mobile computing and move into sales, marketing, and customer service ultimately or said in a simpler way, at the time, the hottest applications in the enterprise B2B market were what today we call ERP, enterprise resource planning, mm-hmm. accounting, manufacturing, distribution, the like. And sort of the aha that I had, Kara, was, hmm, if you call that for sake of argument, the back office, all this new technology is going to come to the front office. It just has to. And this was in, these were in the days where there was very little technology used in selling or in marketing or in customer service, as hard as that is to believe today. And so I hung my shingle out and started a boutique consultancy and was one of the first to really lead the parade in uh, this whole new approach that ultimately got called um, CRM, Customer Relationship Management. And as a result of doing that, my boutique consultancy got acquired by a Silicon Valley uh, software company in that space called Vantiv. And at 27, 28 years old, I was the head of marketing of a publicly traded company. And I moved from uh, Toronto to Silicon Valley. Wild. So, so wild. So you talk about the importance of following your different. And obviously this was, this was a great example, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what advice you'd give to entrepreneurs? You also have said that becoming an entrepreneur was was not a way up. Uh, do you remember saying this? Absolutely, it's uh, it's not a way up for me. There's a way out. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are who are on their way up or thinking they're on their way up? 
and look, there's some entrepreneurs who, you know, they graduate from Stanford or Harvard or MIT or they're, and they write an algorithm and they get funded, you know, and they go, uh, they do all that stuff. And, 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 and no matter what happens to their venture, they're never going to miss a meal. Um, and God bless them. I was mm-hmm. not one of those entrepreneurs. I was one of those, hey, if we don't close this fucking sale, we might not make the rent kind of guys. <laughs> That's how I, I, love it. I got started. And so there's that sort of angle on it. But the other angle on it that is, I think, pretty broad is there are certain people who find their place in the world. And God bless them for doing that. And there's others of us who we can't find a place because there is no place. I didn't fit in school, mm-hmm. right? It didn't work. And then I, I, there's no way I could have fit in the business world. Nobody was going to hire me, right? And so I had to, as opposed to find my place in the world, I had to make my own place in the world. And so I think if you're an entrepreneur, uh, particularly if you're one that's trying to do things that are exponential as opposed to incremental, by definition, you're likely going to do more making of a place than finding of a place. And so I think understanding what you're really up to, and there's big pros and there's big cons about that. I mean, you said it in, in the beginning about Hint, you know, the, the major retailer said, well, there's no place for you because you're a new different thing. You, mm-hmm. you had to teach them what to do with you. Yeah, you right? don't fit. You don't fit. And, and I think for many of us who are naturally in that don't fit unmold, <laughs> I could call it that because there isn't a mold for us. Uh, certainly myself, and I've talked to lots of others, there can be some real pain and suffering with that. Like, how come I don't, there isn't, couldn't I just have wanted to be a nurse or a photographer or fucking something that, you know, you could have just a lawyer, something that you could just go and do these things and ta-da. Um, but many of us, that's not the case for. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly those who are trying to do things that are exponential, people who are trying to bring something forward. You know, my buddy, uh, Mike Maples, the venture capitalist at Floodgate says, there's two kinds of businesses. There are businesses that are predicated on believing things will stay the same, Coca-Cola. And then there's businesses that are predicated on thinking things will be different, hint, mm-hmm. right? And 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 you you make the future a different future than it otherwise would have been. And so I think for those of us who are, who are oriented that way, and many of us entrepreneurs are realizing that the joy and the pain and suffering along the way is important to understand because we're not somebody who could just go maybe get in a job in accounting or as a lawyer, we're making up something that is uh, new ground and that can be frustrating and painful, but also incredibly uh, creative and addictive and exciting and rewarding. Definitely. Do you feel like, I mean, obviously, I, I get the pain points along the way. And I talk to so many entrepreneurs that are, you know, visionary and they, they wouldn't necessarily call themselves that. But, but you know, I see them walk in the door and talking to me and, you know, I try and be their support system and, but it's hard, right? Like, I mean, I talked to lots of entrepreneurs. I, you know, would love to do it more. I mean, frankly, but because I think that there are a lot of people who do have the vision, but can't really, um, find the people to kind of, uh, 
believe in them for the first time. I think, as I always share with people, you're absolutely right that if you come from a Stanford or Harvard or whatever, like that, I think that the beauty of those schools clearly is the network, right? You find a few people who, you know, will throw down some money and support you just purely based on, you know, the school that you went to. And, and I follow in, in your camp, although I, I, did go to college, but um, some people would not call it college. I hate to say Arizona State University. And, you know, people were not like lining up to um, to support me um, when I was actually going out. And actually, I didn't I did a few business stints before I went out and raised money, but I don't think they would have been lined up. And in other words, but how do you ultimately differentiate and and share that you've got this new category, new design when you don't have that network of people. I mean, it's, it, it's tough, right? Like, it's like, do you put it into a deck? Do you, I mean, like, how do you get the word out about it? I'm curious to hear what you, you think I have my opinions, but I'd be curious to hear. Well, I think you have to get in the mix. I mean, when I first came to Silicon Valley, I, I, I couldn't get arrested right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody gave a shit, even though I was this whiz kid and all this stuff, it still didn't matter, right? You got to, in whatever field, you have to earn your stripes. And so I think there's an element of that that we get sort of stuck into today. We Everybody wants to know what the hack is. What's a five-minute mm-hmm. hack? Mm-hmm. Well, there's no five-minute hack to becoming Kara Golden. It just doesn't mm-hmm. work, right? Mm-hmm. It's years, right? It's years. There's no hack. And yes, there's things we can learn from Kara about how to forge our own path. But I think... Um, Today, as a result of a lot of the, I, I call them um, uh, hustle porn stars on the internet, you know, telling entrepreneurs that, oh, wow, you do this viral video and pump out 200 pieces of bullshit content a day and you'll go viral. And like, that's all garbage, right? And so ultimately, in the beginning, we have to position ourselves or we will be positioned. Uh, one of my favorite stories about this is Sarah Blakely of, um, of, uh, you know, the legendary entrepreneur who created Spanx. Yeah. And one of the things she said was when she finally got the attention of a buyer at, I think it was Nordstrom's, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you know this story by chance? Yeah, I I do. I do. The buyer said, well, just mail it to me so I can look at it. And she said, no, no, I can't, I can't just send it to you. It's an invention. I have to show it to you. That's a great example of positioning yourself right? Position yourself or be positioned. And so I think from the very beginning, we have to decide that we're going to be a person of consequence. We're going to be a person that produces results and we're going to act in alignment with that. And so when we go to meet people, even, you know, in my case, when I was 18, 20, 21, 20, you know, I was an officer of a publicly traded company at 28 years old, giving presentations to Wall Street. You, you, you have to become the person that you say you're going to be. And it starts with the conversation that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you have that conversation with the world. And then I don't like all these sort of, um, what's that? Oh, the book, the secret, you know, you you can't just sit in your bedroom drinking beer and farting and thinking good things will happen. Right. So yes, you have to sort of make yourself into the person that you want to be. You have to act like that person and then you have to deliver like that person. And so, and if you do those things and you're thoughtful about them over time, you'll develop this thing that I think is the thing that people really want. 
uh, a little, today there's a lot of discussion about a personal brand. I think personal branding is garbage. What you really want is a reputation. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think I shared the story with you. Uh, it, it, it was an interesting one that I talk about in my book. But when we were kicked out of Starbucks and I had uh, all this product in the warehouse and I wasn't sure exactly what we were going to do and you know, I didn't want to destroy the product because I was going to lose a lot of money. And anyway, we ended up getting a couple of weeks later, getting an email and then a phone call with this guy that worked at Amazon. And uh, he said, I actually know you. And I said, you're kidding. Like, how have we met? And he said, you and I used to work at Time Magazine together. And I said, get out of here. And I said, you know, we, we actually only had one guy in our group. It was all women um, that worked in our group at that time. And, and when there's a I bit of a switch for you, huh? Yeah. Right. And I, I recognized his name, but I did, uh, but he worked like down the hall. He was almost 10 years older than me was higher level, but he said, you know, the interesting thing that I remember about you is that you were really hardworking. And so when somebody told me that you had started Hint, I said, you're kidding. Like she's like, she went from publishing to uh, starting a beverage company. And they said, no, no, no. She actually moved to Silicon Valley, worked for this little startup that was a spin out of Apple and then went to AOL and ran e-commerce. And he said, whoa, like crazy. And then, and he said, but you know what I really remember about you? And I said, what's that? And he said, I remember that you, whenever there were extra sandwiches in the, in, in the uh, conference room after a, uh, you know, executive meeting, you would come by and you'd say, is it anybody like eating those extra sandwiches? And you were so nice about it. And you said, save all the sandwiches because I have friends that make $23,000 just like me. And we're going to take them to Central Park and we're going to have a picnic. And right. so you got to a point where Michael Loeb, who um, whose dad was featured in the book as somebody I went, where Michael Loeb would always, when we were ordering, he would say, be sure to ask Kara where the, like, whether or not there's like a order extra sandwiches for her. And so anyway, I'm telling the story because 25 years later, this guy is working at Amazon and running this grocery business and ultimately set up Amazon Prime. And he, I never worked with him. He was never my boss, but what, but his memory of yes. me was, was based on reputation and yeah. about, and things that he, like I was hardworking. I was authentic. I was, he said funny like he was just like you, you were are just, all the things i mean i right but I, but it's amazing how ultimately that's what people remember years later where and something that i try and instill in in my team at hint too is that you know that's what you it, it's based on reputation for yes. if, like one thing to you know, satisfy your boss and do great for the company. But the rest of the 199 people that are working at Hint, they will hear about you if you yes. work hard and you have that right reputation. So I, I totally, totally agree. 
And a reputation is very different than this garbage that we now get fed about personal branding. I think in the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, the first person ever used the phrase was uh, Tom Peters. I don't Mm -hmm. think he meant what it's become. What it is today is it gets gotten morphed into this influencer world and it's deeply inauthentic and it's the image that you want to put forward and it's the bullshit you want to put on social media and all that. It's all very, very contrived and it's all, all very, very short term. A reputation is a very, very different thing. And when you have a reputation, it's the most valuable thing you can possibly have. And without one, it's almost impossible to get anything done. Here's a question for you. What percent of the successes that you have in the last, that you've had in the last two months have been a function of at least in part your reputation? I think it's super high. I don't know, but I, I would say it's very, very high. Yes. Yeah. And that's a very powerful thing. I remember, I'll tell you a quick story about this. Uh, so as you know, I do some Uh, Not very much anymore, but um, I've done a bunch of advising and investing and consulting uh, since I hung up my my, uh, gloves as a CMO. And um, I remember negotiating um, a contract. And as part of the contract, there was cash and stock and there was a a SOW uh, with it, as you might expect. Anyway, um, we had gotten down to the one yard line. We'd agreed on all the economics, all the main things. There were a few little clauses that I didn't like in the contract. And we were kind of on the one yard line. We've been going, I've been going back and forth with legal. So I finally went to the CEO, who's a buddy of mine. And I said, hey, you know, a few things I don't like. And can we do da, 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 da? And he says, look, if it really matters to you, I can go try and solve those things. But he said, let me just tell you what the chairman of my comp committee said to me yesterday when he approved this uh, deal. He said to me, um, hey, have you... Uh, have you looked at the SOW? He says, yeah. He says, the chairman I can't come in. He says, you know, it doesn't say anything in it. It doesn't say that he has to deliver anything. And we have like no recourse. And you want me to sign this? And he says, yeah. And he said, I looked at the chairman of my comp committee and I said, it's Christopher Lockhead. And he went, <laughs> oh yeah, of course. And they signed it. And then I, I backed off on my little T's and C's that I wanted fixed. Forget but, it. But my point is, we, we get to a place, and it's true when we're younger in our career, and I think the value of it grows exponentially over time when the power of who you are can get a deal done. Yeah, definitely. Well, but I, I also think that your reputation, I don't know, like with age, right? Like it also, it helps. Cause if you're 21 and you're, you don't have something filled in on that SOW and you've got a giant personal brand on whatever, you've got a million followers on Instagram. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could get my legal team to like sign up on it. Even, even though I'm married to my, my chief operating officer and general counsel, I don't, I am not sure that that would, <laughs> I, I think he would yeah, I think he'd want Walk out of the room and just say, "Forget it." I'm, I'm not sure this is happening, but I, I agree with you. I think it's it's um, it's definitely a uh, reputation will uh, will carry you much further along the way. So so pandemic time. So 2020. Um, you know, can you start new categories in in the pandemic, or what happens in 2021? You and I talked a little bit about this on your podcast as well, but I'd love to have you uh, share some of that, some of your crystal balling for 2021 a little bit. Well, I think there's already 
all you have to do is look around. There's already been a niche niche NATO of new categories and new niches pop up in 2020. And I think there's going to be gas on that fire in 2021 because new categories create new categories. And I'll give you a simple example. Uh, my personal favorite new category right now is the e-bike category. I love these things. And I keep buying new ones and different ones. And, and I'm, I'm really addicted to these moped ones now. And here's the interesting thing about these e-bikes, particularly these ones that look you know, different than a typical 10-speed or a beach cruiser or a mountain bike. You get on it, you put on your mountain bike helmet, and for some reason you look like a dork in that helmet. So you kind of go, I, I need a helmet and I'm no big fashion guy, but even me, I'm like, I need a helmet that kind of goes more with this bike. Well, you do some Googling around and you discover there's a company called Thousand Helmets. And have they created a truly new category? You could argue, but here's what they have done. They've created very fashionable, very comfortable. This is a helmet I forget I'm wearing. I walk, I walk in to go do something and pick up something from the grocery store and I'm still got my helmet on. I don't know what's on. So incredible product, beautiful design, all that. And they tied themselves to this new broad emerging category of new mobile devices, e-bikes, uh, scooters, uh, electronic skateboards and the like. There's a whole explosion going on in sort of personal electronic transportation. So they've, they've tied themselves to that. And as a result, they are an emerging category queen company in a new type of helmet designed for these new modes of transportation. And so that's just one example of how the e-bike category and all these other mobile categories uh, get spun up. And then, ba-boom, it creates an opening for a new differentiated kind of helmet company. And so these are the things that I think we're seeing all over the place and the amount of creativity that entrepreneurs are bringing and creating new products and therefore new categories is incredibly exciting. And I think we're going to see an acceleration of it in 2021. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's, uh, I'm just waiting for the, the video market. I mean, I remember like I knew what zoom was. I had used it a couple of times, but obviously, you know, that whole world and zoom obviously isn't the old only one, but like we're going to be out of boxes and out, out of living in boxes, I think sometime in 2021, I think someone is going to just totally disrupt that, that whole world where I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's no longer going to be, um, from waist up. I think mm. it's, there's going to be something that goes on in, in that world that is, uh, you know, you look at, Fortnite and and some of the gaming platforms that are already existing and way ahead. I mean, this just looks archaic in yeah. comparison. And I don't think anybody's that thrilled with it either. And you look at just the event space as well. And I've spoken at a few conferences that, uh, you know, the it's just 10xing what other conferences do in terms of uh just the technology. I think that we're, they can, they can bring that into the home and I think that they will. I'm excited yeah. for it. Definitely. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think there's 2021 will be a time when um, there will be lots of offshoots of just like 
just scratching at the surface of, of different categories. So I still don't have that e-bike um, that you're talking about, but I, I was, I remember from our podcast, we were, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking into it. So, so here's the problem. I have a, a 15 and 18 year old boys that the minute that I get one of those things, I will never see it again. So that's the problem. They already, my son already took my, my 1995 BMW convertible that was mine, <laughs> which he says is is not not because he's now converted it from automatic to manual transmission, and now he's taken like ownership of like I said, dude, I bought that when I was that was like my first stock sale from AOL. I bought that car, and he's wow. like, no, you didn't actually. You like that you didn't keep it up, and I, I'm like I'm commandeering it. I know. And he converted it from an from a uh, automatic to a manual. Yeah. And he's he's wow. obsessed with uh yeah, actually talking about finding your different. Um it'll be interesting to see what he ultimately does. He's 18. Um the first time he started fixing things was when I needed our dryer fixed when I he was probably I don't know eight or nine years old. And I said, I'm just going to get a new dryer. And he said, no, it ends up in the landfill. It's like really, you know, he said, just call somebody and find out what's needed. I call somebody, they said, it'll be a thousand dollars. And I said, so what's the part? And they said, well, the part is, you know, few, but 60 bucks, but the, you know, it's going to cost a lot because the time and whatever. So he went on the internet and ordered the part and I figured, what do I have to lose? And so he, he was nine mm -hmm, and he repaired it. And he has learned how to do all of this on just going, just going on and Googling it. And I mean, it's amazing. And so when he finally, he's now redone three cars he has, wow. he has an obsession with BMWs. So we have too many cars in our driveway. He went off to college and actually came home with, uh, with, uh, unfortunately mono, um, which he probably had before he left Better and than COVID. Uh, yeah. And so exactly. And so he came home and did uh, school from here. Um, but he's constantly like redoing and, you know, the other piece of this too, that I think you'll appreciate that he, um, uh, just by, actually redoing cars, you know, in our nice little bubble that we live in, in Marin County, he has met lots of people that he might not have ever met and has huge respect for yes. people who really know how to fix cars. So he has, you know, this whole other world of people that, uh, that he's just you know, gain so much knowledge from. And a lot of people are not the people that, you know, we might know in Silicon Valley and yeah, like, course. you know, and, and it's amazing what he, what, and he's constantly like looking at, you know, how to design the next car. He doesn't, he doesn't particularly, he's really into the component parts and the different things like, you know, in my car, as an example, he, um, has said like 
it's crazy that it doesn't have an electric pad to actually charge the phone. And I was like, who needs that? And he was like, well, I don't know, like you could put it right here. So he's constantly like looking at that kind of stuff and, and thinking about it. And that's where it all starts. But that, but that's entrepreneurship. And obviously, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the key thing that I think we're, privy to in Silicon Valley, where people are constantly thinking like that, like, how can things be better? So I think it's, uh, you ended up in the right place for sure. And clearly you've, you've added so much value. What's your favorite beyond the e-bikes? What is your favorite thing going on right now in just categories? Like, what do you, what do you see out there that is super exciting? So I think in the technology world, there's a lot to be uh, super excited about. And I think the big thing that we're seeing the continuation of is the componentization of functionality and Mm -hmm. of software. And so I think when I talk to my engineering friends, we're getting to a place more and more where reusable components are a realer and realer thing. And so if you think about the evolution of the design of websites, by way of example, it used to be you needed to be, you know, a genius and you needed to know HTML and all this sort of stuff. And today you can go to Wix or one of these things and you can drag and drop and pick a template and change the colors. And Bob's your uncle. You have a really simple website. It's not going to replace a corporate website, but you understand my point. And so I think as that continues to happen with software and we get closer and closer to a place where Um, You don't have to be a software engineer by today's definition to create software products. I think that is a, um, an incredibly, incredibly exciting thing. Super exciting. So you talked about David Ogilvy, any others with favorite books out there? Um, Well, I read this book called Undaunted that I thought was fantastic recently. Of course. Of course. (laughs) Did I I get that one right? (laughs) Yes. I I love that. that, uh, Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I've had uh, a few colleges have actually called to have it as a business book um, in their business classes and entrepreneur classes, which I thought was a lot of fun. So, but other ones. So, Ogilvy. of late, um, one of the most important books I've read this year, I highly recommend it to everybody, is by an author named Bruce Feiler. We had him on my podcast not too long ago. He's a legendary guy, multiple-time New York Times bestseller. His new book is called Life is in the Transitions. And he had this incredible aha. And the aha was that sort of the mental model a lot of us have is sort of life is somewhat linear and it goes from one place to another. And when we go, when we're here and we want to get there, we get to there. And then we're going to be there for a while. And there's going to be a lot of there. Like, and they lived happily ever after kind of there. And he had this insight. And then he started to do some primary research on it. And, and you'll excuse me for being maybe a little bit off, but I'll be directionally right. That roughly half our adult lives are spent in some kind of a meaningful transition. And that there's essentially two kinds of transitions. There are those that we choose. You choose to start hint. We choose to get married. We choose where we're going to go to school or not go, to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And those are generally positive things. We're, we're creating, designing our own lives, moving ourselves forward. But it's still a transition. When you say I'm leaving the tech world, I'm going to take this 50 grand after the Coke guy told me not so much, sweetie, or whatever, <laughs> misogynistic. Thing. What did he say to you? Sweetie Americans love sweet. 
Sweetie. So, Americans love sweet. Yeah. Sweetie. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you'll, you'll sweetie him now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to Filer. So those are the ones that we choose. And then, of course, they're the horrible ones we don't choose. There's the you, you get injured or you get sick. There's we're all going to lose our parents. You get a horrible phone call at 5 a.m. that something terrible has happened to somebody you love, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it creates this massive, he calls them life quakes. And so what he does in the book is he digs into research about this stuff. And essentially what you might think of as best practices for how you deal with these transitions. And Carol, I'll tell you, my wife, Carrie, loved this book so much. She bought a whole bunch of them. I think, I don't know, 25 or something like that. And, and we're just, we're giving them out. So, so that's a recent book that I think has been um, incredibly powerful. I got to check it out. It sounds, it sounds amazing. Yeah. Bruce Feiler, Life is in the Transitions. I love it. So podcasts, you have two of them. Why two? Well, I realized over time, I started with one, of course, and then I realized over time that there were sort of two things happening here and they separated them made a lot of sense. So on one hand, I, like you, am, uh, am a talker and I'm a, a, a verbal learner. So I learn by doing what you and I are doing right now. It's one mm -hmm. of the, it's my primary way of learning and I'm an extrovert. And so this is natural and powerful for me. And so I wanted to have real conversations about how to design a legendary business and legendary life. And particularly with people who chose to make their own place in the world, people who were different mm -hmm. and ta-da, that's follow your different. At the same time, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a former public CMO and I've spent 34 years doing this thing called category design. And I wrote a book about it and then a second book about it and so forth. And so there was a very specific conversation around marketing, category design, entrepreneurship and so forth that I wanted to have. And those two things started to tug at each other and sort of didn't make sense in the same feed. And so, ta-da, we have Follier Different today, which is exactly what I described, a long-form dialogue podcast like this, completely unedited. So it's not a spoon-fed, chopped-up interview. It's a real conversation with two people. And then for the marketing strategy, category design stuff, that is more, if you will, instructional, more master classy, if you will, we spun that stuff out um, into a separate podcast called uh, Lockhead on Marketing. And uh, I called it that as a tip of the hat to David Ogilvy's legendary book, Ogilvy on Advertising. That's, that was a great book or is a great book, but just a classic, right? Yes. Such a long, I mean, what year was that? That was, that was like maybe late seventies, early eighties. I, I mean, it was, it, and it's still selling. I mean, it's incredible. Everything he teaches is great. Um, and the other thing that he gave me that was wonderful was, so there's the substance of the book, which is fantastic. But equally valuable to me is the swagger of David Ovi. And mm -hmm. I sort of thought, man, he, he gets away with a lot. And it's like, well, if he can be himself in business, maybe I can too. Yeah, definitely. Did you ever think of trying to go and work with him? You know, I was very early in my career and... It didn't strike me to go do that. What I really wish I had done, Kara, at a minimum was go to hear him speak at a conference or something and at least shake his hand. But, uh, you know, for the better part of 20 years, I had my head down. Um, and in the beginning, when I first sort of fell in love with him, I started my own company and we did well and then we didn't do well. And, you know, so uh, I just never got to it. And it's it's a bummer. 
Yeah. Uh, the other thing I'll say is back then, getting to a guy like David Ogilvy was hard. Mm-hmm. Today in the world that we live in, and I'd be curious actually to ask you this question. Uh, we live in a world where you can just reach out to Kara Golden and you might actually be able to get to her. And if not her, mm-hmm. somebody who's one degree moved from her. And if it makes any sense to that person to get you to her, you probably can get to her. And as, which leads me to a question for you, which is, you know, the interaction you're having with your readers, the interaction you're having with your listeners, what's that like for you? Well, first of all, I totally agree. I think that, you know, it's the, the, course has totally changed. I mean, back when you and I were, you know, starting out, I mean, you had to send letters. Like, I mean, there was, there were definitely uh, computers, but it just was, people were not really doing email. And if there was even, I mean, what there were like message boards and, and right. I don't think David Ogilvy was on any of them. (laughs) No, and he wasn't on them. Right. And so, I, I mean, I think it's an interesting I think that most senior executives today, even outside of Silicon Valley, you know, are are on email. I mean, that may sound crazy, but like 10 years ago, it wasn't. I mean, they would just leave that for their executive assistants. I think today they're curious about what's going on and they want to, you know, they don't want to seem stupid, right? Which I think is is kind of another thing that I talk about constantly just about leadership, which is another thing I want to talk to you about, which is that, you know, the best uh, CEOs today that I know constantly want to be learning and they're going to, you know, maybe they hire somebody who is doing a certain function, but they also like, like the fact that that person might teach them Twitter or show them how to get better on LinkedIn and, and, or whatever it is. And so I think that they're, they're on there. You have to, you know, find a way very similar to, maybe what you do in category design, find, find that hole, find a way that you can actually um, stand out. And, and I'll give you one hint. It's not, Hey, can I have five minutes of your time? Right? Like, I, I think you're, you're not like the chances of you getting an email back. If you say, Hey, you know, will you go on to my calendar Lee and, and find a spot? (laughs) I'm constantly like thinking who, like who, who does that? Like, when does that actually? Who do you work? think you're talking to here? <laughs> right? Like, if you really want to get to a senior executive, or I, I don't know, I, I just can't imagine that 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 would work. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, it's definitely. I think it's easier in many ways to be able to do that. But I think the other point, um, you know, that definitely I, I try and emphasize, um, with students when I'm talking on college campuses and, and also my four kids is, is find people that you think are inspirational and follow them, right? Like try and whether that's on social media or read, or I always felt like mentorship for me and and this is even true today that there's people on sort of a bucket list that make maybe i think i want to go see and speak or i want to go shake their hand but i like i read about them constantly and so by the time um you know i actually do meet them i know a lot about them and i think that you can you can be like you know a lot about david ogilvy and that 
you know, that's a conversation that like I would imagine he would have been intrigued by, right? Like you'd be, you know, you knew a lot about his theory. You knew you were, you had done your homework. And I think today, like, it's amazing to me how many people just, you have access to way more stuff. How many people would not even think to sort of do that? Instead, they want like, they, they want the opportunity to be mentored by, um, by Christopher, but versus, versus actually reading up on everything that you've done and things that you've talked about or, or listened to your podcasts or whatever. Um, so. And, and, and incredibly giant people are very, very accessible. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're at a point now where probably between my own network and sort of inbound from kind of quality publishers and, 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 and publicists and stuff, probably 80 percent ish uh, or more of our guests are through our own network. Mm-hmm. But there, there are still times when I'll hear about somebody or, or whatever it is. Somebody's written a great book and, or I see somebody on TV or read some cool entrepreneurs on the internet, just did something or whatever. And I'll go and be proactive and, and reach out to them. You, you can, it's so stunning who you can get to. Yeah. No, I, I mean, to I, your point, very, very big people read their own email. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, I, you know, you have help, I have help, but I try to do as much of my own social media as possible. Not all of it, but I'm I'm banging around in there at least a couple every other day, right? And so if you send me a LinkedIn or you send an email to our website wanting to get to me, it's probably going to get to me, or it's at least going to get to somebody who will get it to me if they think it makes any sense. And so even when there's a buffer, it's nowhere. It used to be a moat, right? If you want to get to David Ogilvy in New York in 1982, like you are going to have to scale the building and become Spider-Man or something, right? Today, you know, you can tweet Tom Peters and he's going to tweet you back. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that that's really true. And then also, but again, like do your homework. And don't send a calendarly invite to have them like set up 15 minutes with you. <laughs> anyway. I'm sure you get this as a podcast host. We get this all the time. The stupidest pitches ever. And, and you know, some of them are like dear podcaster. Yeah. Don't do that. Uh, you, we're not going to respond to you. If you send us a, we're not even going to send you a nice, no, we're just going to, yeah. you're going in the garbage with the dear podcaster, right? Yeah. The other one I always love is, um, <laughs> when they call you somebody else's name. Yeah. That's not a good situation. So <laughs> yeah, the, the mail merge wasn't working properly or something, right? Like exactly. It's, it's just not, not good. So what's next for you? You've got, uh, are you working on any books or any other, yeah, and obviously your podcast is amazing. And, and how, how often are you publishing? So we do at least one follow your different and at least one lock it on marketing a week, a week. That's awesome. Very, yeah. very, very yeah. cool. And, uh, the big new things for me yeah. next year is, um, I'm currently writing, uh, a marketing guide and I'm writing my next book, uh, which will be my third book on category design. And this Amazing. book is being written with, uh, a young rock star writer named Nicholas Cole and, um, Eddie Yoon. And Eddie 
is the category guru to the Fortune 100. And primarily on the consumer side, he's written more for uh, HBR on category than any person alive or dead. And I met him when we were doing some research for my first book, and we became buddies electronically, digitally, and he started sharing all his work. We, we, we referenced some of his research in Play Bigger. He sort of said, hey, you can have anything you want. He was just, he's one of those people who's like this incredible combination of a giant, giant brain and incredibly generous. And we connected immediately. And so it's, and we've written a bunch of things for HBR together now. And so working with Eddie and then bringing in this young rock star, um, that's, that's really fun. And then the marketing guide is, I'm also working with a young writer whose name is Cole Schaefer, not to be confused with Nicholas Cole. And I think Cole Schaefer is the greatest copywriter I've seen in 20 years. Yeah, I know. He's, he's amazing. He's super, super amazing. So yeah, I agree. I agree. He's, uh, we've, he was another one that you connected me with that we're, we're having some conversations as well. He's amazing. Really, really cool. I love everything about him. And we are doing this. It's such a cool collaboration because I, I, for a long time now, I've sort of wanted to write like, okay, here's everything. I, what, I'm at that place in life. I believe if you're lucky enough to get to the top of the mountain, you should throw down a fucking rope. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to, trying to throw the ropes down and trying to throw as many down while, while I'm still here. And so um, this marketing guide, we're go- also going to call it lock it on marketing uh, is sort of like everything I, I can think of to share that might make a difference. And the fun part about it with, with uh, Cole Schaefer is it really is a collaboration. And so um, he's just, he's just writing. He's just taking the ideas and then he'll take them in different. So we have this incredible back and forth. He, it is absolutely a co-creation. He's not just writing the shit I say in a good way. That's not what he's doing. We are going back and forth and it's sort of, it's really fun when the master sensei is moving around the dojo with the up and coming champion. You know what I mean? I love it. I and love so, it. That's, that's so awesome. When do you think you'll have it out? I think we'll get the guide out in Q1 of 2021. That's a current course and speed. The book, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. We're still having some discussions with uh, major publishers. Uh, I had a major publisher pr- publish my first book, Uh, Eddie had a major publisher uh, publish his first book, Super Consumers, unbelievable book. Then I self-published my second book. I think we're probably going to self-publish this one. And we can talk about the pros and cons of that if if it matters. But we're still, there's still a a publisher or and a half or so uh, sniffing around. So who knows? We'll see. So I'm not exactly sure on the timing of the new category book. I love it. So Christopher, how do people find you? And, uh, obviously your podcasts as well. And, but what's the best place to find Christopher Lockheed? Everything's at lockhead.com. Lockhead.com. Awesome. Very, very cool. And like you said, on LinkedIn and other places, everywhere you get annoying podcasts. Yeah. 
I love it. Very, very cool. Thank you so much for all your wisdom and what a great conversation and what a great person. So I love everything about uh, you and, and every, you're very inspirational and, uh, and giving and just super, super terrific. So everybody, thanks so much. If you love this podcast, definitely, uh, give lots of high marks and subscribe if you're not a subscriber and all that, and definitely check out Christopher's podcasts as well. So thanks everyone. Have a great week. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening.